Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan and Rockefeller Center, New York City, Newsstand Studios. Joined, as usual, with uh, Joe Hazen, actually, because we don't have John in the studio today. No, how you doing, man? Doing good right. to see you. Everything good? Yeah, everything's how, all right. How the panel's treating you there, right? Uh, you know what's funny? I had, to cha- I had to change the whole console out yesterday. The other one took a beep boop. That sucks. Yeah, a lot of work. Oh, that sucks. Oh, my God. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're cathected to your particular your sliders, man. Well, Sorry for you. Uh, this console is particular because it's got a lot of different things that you just can't find on new modern consoles right now. So, um, I mean, it's still a digital console, but it gives me a lot of flexibility. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Oh, we're back. All right. That's good. And uh, we're here at a special time. So, uh, and I don't have John here because he had to work at the restaurant. John is at Temperance Wine Bar. Um, and like... What, like Nastasia, I think, is on a plane, and Jack got himself poisoned. Is that right, Quinn? Are you the only person? No, all the way around. Uh, all the way around. It's all the same thing. Being on a, being on a plane, food poison. It's all the same. How you doing, Quinn? I'm good. Good. And uh, for today's very special guest, we have Andre Houston Mac, but not spelled Houston like the town Houston. It's a very interesting spelling. You want to you want to tell me about that? Yeah. No, I could tell you about that. Um. One of my uncles was named Houston. I like That's that. how they spelled it. Nice. My mom was my favorite uncle, our favorite uncle, and that and, was it. I got the name. And you ended up in Texas, but you're not from Texas because you're a military brat. Correct. Military brat, born in Trenton, New Jersey, spent yeah. the first 15 summers there in, uh, in Summering in Trenton, if mm-hmm. you will. And uh, <laughs> You're the only person on earth that's ever said that. Correct. correct. Actually, I have to give credit. My wife said that. But anyways... <laughs> um, yeah, and then we kind of lived all over the world. My first place we ever moved was Texas. My mom fell in love with Texas, and that's kind of been home for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You ever go back to Trenton? What's Trenton about? What They have a motto, right? Uh, Trenton makes the world takes. That's it, that's right? it. It's the bridge, yeah. No, totally. I do go back every now and then to visit friends. What is Trenton? It's the headquarters for uh, Taylor Ham. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, the Trumblers. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to obviously talk uh, more about uh, Ham in a minute. Absolutely. Uh, and for those that don't know uh, your uh, your work, uh, <clears throat> sommelier, graphic designer, uh, winemaker, uh, restaurant owner, uh, writer, uh, YouTube personality. I mean, I don't know where to. St- I don't know where to. I just try to do be me. You know, the opportunities come, I just do it. So it's been fun. Yeah. Try to keep busy. Yeah, yeah. You know. And uh, if anyone happens to be listening, even though it's not our normal time, uh, on your on the Patreon, call in your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. All right, so now's the time on the show when we just, like, anything last week that you guys did that was interesting, that, you know, food, food or drink-wise usually, but could be anything. Like, maybe you got lit on fire. I'm not saying you did. Um, last week I was in Madrid, Spain, oh. and I hadn't been back since I was a child, so it was great. Um I had these sardines on this black bread with butter. Good. Just a simple thing. It just blew my mind. Like fresh sardines? Yeah. I, I love can't fresh stop sardines. I can't stop thinking about it. It was pretty amazing. You know, I'm sure I've said this on air a million times, but like James Beard, weird weird dude if you read the writing, right? Did For not sure. like fresh sardines. I mean, but my feeling is is that canned sardines are delicious and fresh sardines are delicious. Fresh sardines are one of my favorite fish though. Like okay. so, like I think they're completely different. I don't think that you can say one is better than the other or worse than the other. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make. It's not the same. You would never be like, "Hey, I needed some fresh sardines," and then someone hands you a can. And you're like, "What? What? It's not the same thing." You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. Like some people like fried chicken. Some people like grilled chicken. I mean, they're, yeah, it was it's chicken. To me, those are more similar. Like to me, because they're both cooked. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You know I mean? Fair enough. Okay. I don't yeah. know. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, are you a Bocarones freak? I am. Yeah. I am. I actually like salt anchovies. 
Yeah? I, yeah, I mean, I like the, I like Bocaronis. I like them. But okay. I, I like salty. I like tiny fish salt, like salt like hell. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that I'm a weirdo. I know that that's not right. Uh, oh, yeah. Quinn told me you were at Madrid Fusion. I didn't know that Madrid Fusion was still going. What's the th- So when I last time, the only time I went was in 1900, 19- oh, sorry, <laughs> 2000 and uh, I think it was four or five. Okay. And um, everyone there had food poisoning as well. It was so funny. They all got food poisoned. So Harold McGee was food poisoned. Thomas Keller was food poisoned. Really? Everyone food poisoned. And they still showed up on stage. And you ever seen like a... Uh, uh, Cooking demonstrations being given by people with food poisoning. It's amazing. You got to see it. It's great. <laughs> All right. Let's see if this video. Because like the l- look on their faces, you know what I mean? But like, you know, Sweating. it was like, uh, it was a who's who of like, you know, Spain at that time was on yep, fire. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like. Um. Danny Garcia was doing all kinds of, he was doing a thing where it was almost like a, you know, you know, a palm souffle. Mm-hmm. He was doing fish souffle where he was like, like taking whole fish and then like sewing up all the holes and then frying it and have the skin puff up. He's doing all sorts of loony oh, stuff. Yeah. The guy, I forget his name. He was doing that thing where he was heating up like a bed of nails and then smacking the meat onto the bed of nails. Like, <laughs> Who yeah, that? I forget whose name it was like, but like, you know, Charlie Trotter came and was doing like some hardcore Trotter business. Wow, that's insane. And like, Oh, four Oh five. Yeah. That's it was amazing. a crazy time to be involved in all this because, uh, no one was jaded yet. Correct. You know what I mean? I get you. Yeah, I had just yeah. moved to New York. So oh, we were just opening per se in 04. Yeah, they were talking about this. And I remember what Keller presented now. He did his, uh, he did compressed fruit in the okay. vacuum machine. Yep. Because, you know, it's real pretty. You know how he likes pretty stuff. Oh, yeah. We used to do the watermelon, compressed yeah, watermelon. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because it, yeah. it looks great. It does. It tastes better, too. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's, you know, uh, texture makes texture yeah, better. It was texture. tasty. It was really tasty. So what's the vibe now? Um, I haven't been, so this was my first time there. Um, I didn't realize it was a kind of convention kind of thing, and I don't really do those, but it was great. I represented America. I was basically giving somewhat of a State of the Union of American uh-huh. wine. Uh-huh. And, and were you for it? I was for it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go for it. Right? You know what I mean? I, I, was, I was happy to represent the United States. The state and, of our grapes is strong. Yeah, well, you know, to talk about, like, different issues and was trends and stuff like that, and it was great. And, you know, Spain was interesting. You know, and for me, it was just kind of a... You know, and, and and I wasn't there that long. It was a very short trip. Um, I ate, I think I went out one night, and that was kind of it. And then I had to leave. But what do you have, baby great. pig? You have the baby pig? No, I didn't. I only had that that sardine thing. Oh, oh yeah, that oh. was it, and that was kind of it. And um, I didn't realize people in Spain knew who I was, kind of, so to speak. So it was great. It was, you know, it was you know, it was forty people in a line to take selfies. So it was, you know, it was interesting. Can you speak Spanish? No, I can't speak yeah, Spanish. Either. No, so, so stupid. No, I, I was, you know, it's like, and I was like romanticizing in, in high school to take French, but I lived in Texas, which was yeah, dumb, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but the guy who introduced me, he introduced me in Spanish. It was pretty amazing. He was hired. I'm going to hire him. No, it's not. Nice. <laughs> I wonder who it was. There used to be, uh, so back in 04, 05, he was, he was an amazing dude. He was a, his career included being like a cornet player, a nanny, uh, a, a sommelier, a cocktail maker, a line cook, uh, he was a, I knew him from WD, but he ended uh-huh. up, uh, his name is Tona Palomino, and he ended up moving to Chicago. But he used to be the translator extraordinaire because he was hyper fluent in kitchen, like high end yeah, kitchen yeah. talk in both Spanish and in uh, English. And he's just really good at it. So, like, back then, like, anytime someone came to New York, they're like, I want Tona. Got it. Yeah, to do my. Yeah, it's a little different this year. I think it was some of the things were more like a silent disco. So you'd put on the headphones and there would be two translators in a glass case in the back 
and they would speak to, they uh-huh. would translate. So yeah. there was lots of translation going on yeah. and vice versa. I think, you know, cause I spoke in English. So I actually get this. Uh, it was the first job I had at the French Culinary Institute was to go to Madrid Fusion. So it must've been, oof. anyway, it was the very wow. first job I had. It was the first trip I was supposed to take for the company. Cause I was mm-hmm. their director of culinary technology. I was supposed to do all their, learn all their, you know, tech crap. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm going to the airport and it's uh, MLK Day is on the Monday, right? So there's nothing's open. Correct. I go and uh, my passport expired because I hadn't left the country in so long. My passport expired. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I missed that plane, but it was, like, still possible. So I call up and uh, I call up, like, everyone I can call. So finally, like, someone at the State Department picks up. Okay. And they're like... Is it a matter of life or death? Now, these are one of these moments where you have to make the right decision. You know what I mean? I was like, yes, this is a matter of life and death because if I don't get on that plane, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, my kid's going to be homeless. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, you know what I mean? Death. Like life or death. And so I had to get on an airplane, fly to D.C. to the only state office, that, uh, uh, State Department office that was open on the holiday, flew into Reagan Airport, got on the subway, ran, ran, got my picture taken, hot and sweaty. So that passport, I was like, like, like totally messed up, got back on the plane and like directly ran to the airplane to take me to uh you know, out of New York back to, to Madrid is crazy. That sounds like some Jason Bourne stuff it right was, there. It was unbelievable that I made it, but I yeah. kept the job, which was good. Can you imagine? That's the point. Can you imagine, like, that's why you... Because you so didn't stupid. pay attention. Now so, I get it. So I get it. I totally get it. People, check your passports a month before you fly at least. <laughs> that's right, because sometimes they won't even let you in if they expire six months or something oh, like that's that. That's crazy. Right? Well, it depends where you're going, too. Yeah. Like, it's some places it takes forever, and, like... It's a racket anyway. Like, if you want your passport in a reasonable amount of time in this country, you have to pay a lot of extra money, which seems weird. It seems once you're a citizen in this country, like, we shouldn't be better or worse than each other based on our ability to pay for our documents. You right. know what I mean? It should be a lot easier, too. Yeah. Considering, I think there's some weird number, like, Amer- only 40% of Americans, no, 60% of Americans have their passport or something like that or vice versa. It's, like, weird. Well, I don't know, like, uh, whether you ever hung out, but, like, the last time I was in, like, Detroit, I was talking about, oh, you know, the kids going across the bridge to Canada so they could drink when they're 18, oh, yeah. right? Don't so D. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they're like, well, they, but now they have to use this enhanced ID to do it. And it turns out that even just that level of enhanced ID chops out, like, a whole chunk of folks who don't have, because it's an, I think it's an extra 60 bucks or something. Really? Yeah, it's, let's just let people have yeah. the ID. Totally. You know, if you get it, I should get it. If, the, if that idiot gets it, we should get it. You know what I mean? It's like... But this is American. Yeah. It's built on that. You already know that. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk about that forever. Yeah. So this is what all it right. is. Pay to play. Uh, all right. So how, how, do the, uh, how do the Spanish folk uh, uh, take to uh, the American wines? Yeah, I think they were... It was great. Lots of clapping. Lots of people waiting afterwards to talk to me. So it was great. I had oh. a great time. Uh. It's really fun. It was good. You know, uh, my biggest regret... Uh, because I missed the day. I, I always try to build in like at least five hours where I can do non-food related crap. I okay. like to go to markets. That's my, but I like to like see like a museum or cultural blah, okay. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I didn't get to go to the Prado. Yeah, I didn't get to go either this time. It's got my, it very one quick. of my favorite paintings in it. Like, Which is? I like Goya's like black paintings, his like crazy ones. Uh-huh. Like Saturn eating his son is like the most like visceral, effed up, like <laughs> dude afraid he's going to be murdered by his children. So he's eating his own children. It's like a decapitated man in his hand. I think I know like, that one. Yeah, it's just <laughs> super dark. In the in the in the early '90s, I tried to get uh, you know early early like 1990. I tried to get a poster version of it, 
uh, from, my, from my dorm room like in 1990 and they were like, we don't make a poster of this. Nobody wants this on their wall. I'm like, this guy. Me. Yeah, I want it. Um, anyway. Hey, Quinn, you always have something going on. What do you have going on? Oh, I got something going on. I made some delicious uh, herb oil in the Spinzol 2.0. Oh, the Spinzol Culinary Centrifuge, Quinn? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Sell it, sell it. Uh, and by the way, I think there are still are some that people can buy if they... Uh, I think we're going to have, what, like 100 left over some crap? Yeah, if you go to the, the Booker and Dax Instagram right now, the link in the bio is a wait list, but then we might have a official uh, pre-order window coming soon. All right, Quinn. Now let's hear all the crap you put into your herb oil, and then we'll we'll see what we think. (laughs) What was it? What was the base? Uh, It was the peanut oil. Okay. Why peanut? I had peanut oil. Well, you're cutting in and out, man. You've turned into a robot on me. That's internet. I I had peanut oil. That's the secret. Okay. All right. And then what else do you put into it? I cooked... Scallions, uh-huh. long onion, uh-huh. and some ginger uh-huh. until almost all the moisture is gone. So reduced 250 grams of aromatics to about 90 uh-huh. after cooking. And then you said two nine. You said 290 to 90, right? So like roughly a little over three times. About 250 to 90. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So all right. Go ahead. And Re- then, and then another. 220 of flowering chives. Okay. Blended up. All right. And what do you think that, so obviously the flowering chives then you kept like in their raw state to give some freshness to it. Is that the, the gist I'm getting out of you? Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, what, yeah. So we have, you know, fresh green element and then like cooked and then any element. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to give your internet a chance to recover, get some bits back uh, while we're talking. But like uh, the, so what do you think the difference was making it, uh, other than the high yield you can get using a centrifuge or, uh, you know, the, like uh, the fact that there's no water in it, do you think there was any advantages to doing it in the fuse or just because you happen to have one because you work with us? I think the advantage was at the time because it takes maybe, I got to run the pump very slow just to be safe. Oh, but, you know, it was probably a 30, 40 minute process all in, mm-hmm. which was, again, still mostly passive. Whereas, you know, if you're filtering, you know, eight, 800 grams of oil and aromatics, it's going to be overnight. Who has that kind of time? Hey, listen, Quinn. Why don't you reboot your internet and then we'll get you. Uh, we'll get you back on once. I think uh, I'm back now, actually. I don't know, man. <laughs> you sound, you know, clippity clappity. Okay. Sound. We'll, we'll, we'll reboot that crap and get back to it. So, I'm get ready to hop on the waiting list here. That's what I'm about to do. Yeah. So I. Oh, nice. So I, I made something. So like, you know, uh, I uh, uh, still still working on, even though it was actually due back in October, and pretty soon my editor's going to call me up and just like be like, you missed it, it's over. But, like, I'm supposed to do the redo of my uh, Liquid Intelligence, which is my cocktail yep. book. And so, like, you know, uh, I, in the first edition of the book, I, uh, I, I put all syrups kind of... I have, some syrups are in with the recipes, right? Mm-hmm. But I put, like, most of them together, like orgeas and stuff at the beginning. But okay. I've done so much work with, like, uh, acids and syrups over the past 10 years, I'm giving it its whole new chapter. So I'm doing something on oleo. So I was like, oh, what's something that would be fun to make an oleo? Something that's only... Uh, only uh, rind, right? Okay. So I went, uh, you know, 
I went, I, I passed by a Buddhist hand. Whenever you pass a Buddhist hand, you're like, oh, Buddhist hand. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. And so the cool thing about Buddhist hand, right, is that the pith isn't bitter at all. So you can just slice the whole Buddhist hand. Right. You can make an oleo, but there's still so much f- flavor. Because I think a lot of times when you infuse a Buddhist hand, you act, actually end up throwing away a lot of flavor because, like, you don't end up eating the fruit, right? Okay. So I made an oleo. Then after the oleo, I used the peel again to make a lemon Buddhist hand cordial, right? As Instead of lemon peel, I used it, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, the nice thing about that is, is that now also the Buddha's hand has some acidity, which is the one thing the Buddha's hand lacks. And then when you strain all of that, it still has flavor and can be used as a candy or garnish. Taste that crap. But here's the problem. Here's why I brought it today. I cannot figure out how to describe the smell. And I need someone who's good at describing smells because to me it smells like Buddha's hand and like nothing else. And I can't think of what it smells like other than Buddha's hand. You know, like obviously citrus and like, but you know what I mean? It's like, it smells like Buddha's hand. <laughs> well, it smells like Ricola. Oh, yeah. Do you want to taste pizza? Delicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, that's what it smells. It smells like Ricola. Now you have that song going through my head. Ricola. Ricola. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I made this like made this at the beginning like almost a week ago. It still tastes fresh. I love Buddha's hand. You want some, Joe? No. So you passed your deadline. I got a deadline too. Oh yeah. What do you Don't want? Don't hurt me. Yeah. I, I just signed. A, I'm working on the second book. Oh yeah. well. I, wait. You already have two books. You're not which one are you not counting? The coloring book. Yeah, so that's funny. The coloring book is is the first book. Yeah, so like I did a coloring book. I self published it. Um, that was a really fun project. Um, and then um, I took on another project, writing another book called Ninety Nine Bottles, which was somewhat of a memoir slash um, slash wine book. Uh, so the idea was to tell my wine life story through 99 bottles. Yeah, and it starts, it's like almost, chron- I mean, not all, yeah. it's chronological. Correct. Yeah, so like I think the first entry is uh, Old English 800. Uh, I was right? going to ask you yeah. about, you yeah. know, 8-Ball. Uh, eight eight you yeah. start, start the, out the with 8-Ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that was it, man. And and it was so funny. So, that you know, the, to, uh, the, to think of that, that's where I came from. And all the way to like French Laundry and then moving to New York to work at Per Se. Uh, and I think in that chapter, I talk a lot about how... The night before inventory, I would drink a 40 ounce. Yeah, which is unpleasant. Yeah, it totally is. And hard to find, apparently, yeah. in Manhattan. You can't buy West. 40s in Manhattan? It was really hard to find. They used to sell this crap when I was in grad school uh, up near my studio that was much cheaper than yeah. Old English. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was called Laser. Laser. Uh, malt liquor and it was like 50 cents for the super talls so they weren't 40s but they were like like 20 ounce cans or something or 20 and it it was I don't it was not potable you know what I mean like most of it isn't you know then it was kind of that thing of like oh it's acquired taste but like it was that thing it was like you know I'm a product of hip hop you know I grew up on it you know hip hop turned 50 I'm 50 right and so you know it was aspirational music music right so it told you what to drink yeah so this is what what you drank but it was like wow it tasted like you know ice cube pissed on charcoal you know what I mean yeah that's what you said the thing I mean like the thing is is that like uh, you know uh that that drink wasn't on my radar until NWA came out. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because uh, like uh, you know, I knew like Colt Forty Five uh-huh. and all that stuff because it's loaded with dynamite taste. Yeah. <laughs> you grab one, down one, get yourself around one. You know what I mean? Malt liquor. Oh my and, like, god! It took me way back, bro. <laughs> it's a dynamite taste. You know yeah. that, that old song where like the Colt Forty Five is exploding out of the mountains like a big weird <laughs> sex explosion. It was right before the Billy D Williams ads yeah. came up. Yeah. You ever looked at the history of Colt Forty Five ads? I haven't. So I haven't. The very original Colt 45 ads were uh, like uh, a white dude actually on a beach 
<laughs> and uh, he's on a beach, and there's like a table, like a nice, like a bistro table with okay. like a, with like a, and like all this crazy crap is happening around him, like just crazy, like insanity. Okay. And he's just like, he's just like nothing, right? Just like dead face, dead. And like all of a sudden, like a person like like surfs up with a Colt forty five on like a waiter's tray, and. It, and like the person pours in the Colt 45, like it's like some good drink and he's like savoring the drink. So it was all about that. Then it went to the, you know, the, you know, dynamite taste. And then, you know, Billy, D, of course, everyone knows Billy, Billy, D. D. Billy Yeah. Yep. I mean, you got to love those ads growing up. If you're, if, if you're like, I'm similar, I'm a little yeah. bit older, but yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's no, like, no, yeah, I yeah. love those ads. And, and actually most of my Instagram feed are those nostalgia ads. Like, you know, so if, McDonald's, like all that, the McNugget buddies and like that kind of stuff, you know? So it's, it's always interesting to look at the past, especially from a graphic design perspective too. Right. So like looking at like old stuff and stuff like that is always fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, I noticed that you went uh, immediately went high end after the Oli English and you went to Boone's, uh, Boone's Farms. That, that was it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Boone's Farms. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, those are the days of like, and you, when you were moving away from malt liquor and then also like dating, like, you know, that was a certain type of woman who drank malt liquor, and then a certain type who drunk it out of a bottle, right? So that was a certain type. And then so if you're mingling and having a party, then you had to have this other stuff, and that was different. But, you know, I mean, you went through all those stages. Thunderbird, oh my right? God. Thunderbird wasn't great, but so what you did is you grabbed your, whatever flavor of Kool-Aid you had, put in it, right? So it was like do, all of those things. Do you remember Cisco? I remember Cisco. Oh, my God. Cisco would mess you up, though. That, but, you know, that stuff tastes like poison. Like, yeah. even at the time, you know, I was like, <laughs> it's like I'm dying and as you're drinking it. <laughs> I was like, this is bad. Bad. They're like, it's bad, but it's quick. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it was, that like, was just knock you out. Uh, but yeah, Cisco was popular then. So it was like all of those things. And those were kind of like my drinking culture. And then I later talk about how it was all from popular culture. So sort of like watching movies, right? And so you're like, oh, wow. Like, I think Tequila Sunrise was a movie, but I think that's a drink. <laughs> Bartender, I'll have one of those. That that was kind of my history. Well, you said you were calling your first scotch call was Cuddy Sark, and you would call it Cuddy Shark. <laughs> yeah, and someone was no, like, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bar. It was the, it was someone I had worked with, and he he fell out of his chair laughing. He goes, "Did you say shark?" I said, "Yeah." And he's like, "It's Sark, like the ship." I was like, "Okay, sorry, You're like, like ship." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea, and you know, he's like, "It's the ship on the bottle here." You're like, "Okay," but it was from yeah. watching Goodfellas, and then maybe actually, I think in the closed caption it says shark not sark i, I mean, gotta probably. check that like the, I'm, gonna make, I'm gonna put my assistant you know, on that a, there's only so much money <laughs> there's only so much money in captioning so like that often they get that stuff wrong especially when it's like you know when it's probably better as shark anyway wouldn't you rather have cuddy shark i do i would i i've found it so cool i felt really great ordering mm -hmm. it and then just was deflated you know yeah and a lot of sad things in the book too you yeah. were you were pouring some uh, nice cabernet when you found out that your uh the the dad who raised you yeah. as way i'll put it since you my dad, yeah, yeah uh died and uh and really, like really deep like you would had a riff with your mom it's like not usual stuff to be like that open about <clears throat> yeah but but to me it was you know it was those things that like you like you let it out and and every now and then when i go back and read it or when people bring it up you're like wow i did like leave a lot right and um for me it was it was just it it was really like these bottles of wine and what i think about when i see these bottles of wine it takes me right back to those moments and was that silver oak right yeah so it was silver oak and it was an empty bottle of silver oak and I was refilled it with water because I was just, I was a waiter trying to be a sommelier. So I would refill it with water. And then I set up my dining room table, like a table, and I would be pouring and I was practicing pouring wine. So it was like, 
you know, pouring over here, pouring left-handed, pouring my backhand around the corner, like all of those things. And then like my door, there's a knock at my door and I look through the peephole and it's my mother standing there. And I'm like, how did you even know where I lived at? And it was just, that was it, you know? And so I, I wanted the book to be personal. Like I, f- I felt at the time that all the definitive wine books have already been written. And what was that at the time? Israeli? No, but I mean, like, like all of them, like Chances Robinson, Hugh, oh, like uh, the, yeah, big, the big, yeah, big, big, the big ones, ones and yeah. yeah, just like on how-to wines. And I just felt like, how can I, like, the reason why people, people buy anything is the story. And for me, it's like, hey, you could read about how I got to this place and along the way learn a lot about wine just natively, right? Just by reading the articles. And we put the sideboards on just for it to make it look like a fake wine guide, but like still informational. And so, but I just thought by like, just sharing, these were like real stories that were raw. And, you know, I didn't mind, I didn't mind sharing those. Now it comes as like a series, like it's like a, it's presented as a series of playing cards. You ever actually make the playing cards? No, we hadn't yet. We hadn't. And so it, so the book came out in October, 2019, and then, you know, and so the, it was like right around the holidays, the, something weird about it. And then COVID. Yeah, freaking COVID, man. And then that was it. And so we never really got a chance to you should do it. At, you it. should do it like at your, one of your places now. Not maybe the same ones, but just like whatever. What were we going to do? We, we were going to make them NFTs, right? Oh, God. Oh, jeez. <laughs> which, is, which is so funny to me. But but the idea of making them will 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 happen at some point. And we're coming up on the fifth year anniversary, if I did the math right, right? So know. the fifth, yeah, the fifth year anniversary of the book. Yeah, and uh, they're not all wines. Like uh, you uh, went to a Senegalese place and had uh, the uh, the Bissap and you're yeah. like, I want some sorrel. Yeah. yeah so like, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. So there, you know, it's beverages. It's not all wine. You know, there's some spirits. Um, actually, there's San Pellegrino, which is on this table. Uh, and that's in the chapter where I, where I realized that I wanted to quit. I, I quit. Working out per se because of sparkling water. That was the straw. Oh, I didn't read that one. Bar. You yeah. gotta tell me because, like, I was going to ask you. So, like, for those of you that I don't know, don't know anything about it, whatever. So, like, at the <laughs> time, Thomas Keller was like the best known chef in the country, like by a long, in terms of like high end cooking, Correct. by a long, long margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, famously, if you read the old old stuff, had kind of been run out of New York on a rail this first time around. Yep. Uh, opens up. Uh, French Laundry, where you were the you were the you were the. I head was one. Of, no, I was one of the sommeliers. Yeah. Which, by the way, what a crazy job to have. It's insane. It's what a nutty job. It was. It was. It was. It was kind of like being in a cult, and like you were like in like like sleepaway camp. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask yeah. because it's one of the famous Kool Aid kitchens in terms of like yeah. you have to drink that Kool Aid. Correct. You know. Correct. Uh, and 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 the crazy part is like you didn't. It was self-policing, right? It wasn't the manager that came around and said, hey, we don't do that. It was the, the guy next to you, your peer, who checked you. And most people didn't get fired. They quit. Like, it was just too much. They would, you know, a new person would come in and within two weeks, they would know whether or not they could handle it. Yeah, like, uh, we had some, like, one of our favorite, like, interns at the French Culinary, interns, people who were, yeah. you know, students, and then they work with us. But he was already, like, an amazing cook. And after he left, we're like, you know, where are you going? He's like, we're going to Per Se. I'm like, why? What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, because like the dude, his name is Long. I don't know if you know him. Mm-mm. But anyway, he's he's a well known chef in Taiwan now. Oh, okay. And uh, he, uh, I was like, you already punish yourself so much. You, you don't need external punishment to be better because you already do it to yourself. You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, I think I think for me, I remember having the interview with Thomas Keller. Uh, to work at the French Laundry. So we're sitting uh, in this courtyard on a picnic table. 
And he was like, hey, you know, it's like I've been hearing great things about San Antonio. And I started laughing. I'm thinking to myself, stop blowing smoke up my ass. You know what I mean? Like, what, what have and you The man loves puffy tacos, maybe. Yeah, that could be true. And so um, he said, so why do you want to work here? And I just remember my answer. It was like, because I need discipline. And I think for a lot of people, maybe for your friend Long, it's like you have to you have to know Right. It's like I was the only person, you know, a handful of people that cared about where I worked at in my previous job and I wanted to be better. And I felt like I needed to go there. And I was like, I need discipline. I need I, I need somebody to push me on those days that I can't push myself. And I I want to know what that's like. And I want to know if I have that drive. And, he, you know, he just looked at me. He's like, discipline. We can give you that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, um, and so that was it. I moved from San Antonio, Texas to, um, to the French Laundry. And, uh, you know, I was hired to work at the French Laundry. And so we're kind of going along and 10 year anniversary is coming up. Uh, but the buzz in the news is, you know, he's coming back to New York. And I was like, whatever. Like, and, and more and more, as we got closer and closer, the hype started to build. And I was just like, I was like, Andre, you can't sit on the sidelines on this one. This seems like it's too big of a deal. It's a homecoming of sorts for him. You know, it was touted as one of the most anticipated restaurant openings in New York City, uh, Time Warner Center. And I was just like, and I remember I decided on my birthday, which is Christmas on 2003, right, that I I wanted to go. I remember, you know, at the holiday party with my boss and being like, I think I want to go to New York. And he's like, okay, all right, we can make that happen. And so I moved to New York City, unsight unseen, to yeah. give it a shot. I mean, like uh, that opening was crazy. No one yeah. knew. No one knew how that was going to go because it was the, it was the. I think the first thing it was. They were just building the Time Warner Center, yeah. so it's not like there was a track record there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he's super famous at the time, and everyone loved. You know, everyone wanted that. Everyone wanted that reservation. I, again, I don't think people who weren't seriously in in the eating world at the time can you can't you can't overstate kind of what a phenomenon it was even like right. book wise when the french laundry cookbook came out oh yeah uh, i had to write uh, some stuff on it for uh, food arts back you know way back in the day it was okay. one of, it was one of the very early and very early american chef books where you weren't intended to cook out of it mm-hmm. where it was like we're going oh, to yeah. tell you the real stuff going back to anchovies soaking the anchovies in milk all, all that all mm-hmm. that stuff yeah, and yeah. it was kind of the first of its kind that sold well even though no one could cook at no normal folk no normal people could yeah, yeah we're no, gonna totally. cook out of it, but no it was you know it was a moment in time and i just felt like this is the opportunity i was like you know what like i should go and i just i just left and came and and I guess the rest is kind of history. It was it was an interesting time in New York, you know. As I've you know, I'm coming up on my twenty. Oh, I am my twenty year anniversary. This is the longest place I've lived anywhere is New York City. Yeah. Um, and just now, just reflecting and looking back on like how the landscape has changed a lot, um, you know, from them like losing two stars, like you know, from all of that kind of thing that happening there, and then like. Uh, I touched the button there. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. It's like I, I, the star system, the way it works now, I think it's ridiculous. The whole thing just, it just, it irks me. I'm, even thinking about it makes me upset. No, I get it. I get it. You know, and, it's, and, and at the time, I think it probably meant more then than it does now. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just a, a, an interesting time and place and, it, you know, gave, you know, gave me the platform and the, I guess the energy and the, and the confidence to say that, you know, I, and I left that job. Right, most people don't give up a job like that. Yeah, I so left what, that what job. was caused it with the Pellegrino? Hook me up. Well, so we we um, you know uh, Thomas Keller used it uh, Tanat 
uh, water and Hilden water. So they were two English waters that he liked to use. And so they're not readily available. So we had to have somebody here in New York, some like weird company give him. And then we had like a, a third water, which we used to call, it was called Vatviller. And it was from Alsace. And it was in a squat little bottle. And we used to call it H3O. It was really, it was really hard water. But it was, it was great and had the consistent, you know, the contrast of the three waters. But it was hard to keep in stock. And so we would, ordering 25 case drops per water, but then we would run out and then we'd be stuck. And so we couldn't run out. And so then we would have 75 cases of 50 cases of each water as a reserve and then keep ordering. And then where'd you keep it in Jersey? No. So we had, we kept it like in, you know, on the like second floor yeah. of something other time Warner building, but it was just, um, it was just a pain in the ass. And like, finally, you know, I got the program, you know, after like three years in a place that I felt comfortable that I could just like take a weekend off. And so I go off on the weekend trip and I just remember it's Sunday and I'm in the security line and one of the sommeliers calls me and, you know, he went and bought San Pellegrino because that's what we had done in the past when we ran out. And then the director of operations ran him in and to him and it was a whole argument. It was a whole bunch of shit. And I was just like, you know what? I think, I think, I think I'm done. <laughs> I think I, I, th I really think I'm done. And I had reached that point and I remember saying, Hey, you know, I had always this agreement with my boss. He's like, you give me 90 days, the restaurant requires 30. You give me 90. So I gave him my 90, but apparently I guess he told them and it was turned into 30. Yeah. And it was a weird position for me because at the time, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was writing a book about working there. So we met there and she was writing a book that was unauthorized, yeah, so to speak. And, um, and it was, you know, and it didn't help that. Harper Collins was marketing as Sex in the City meets Kitchen Confidential. And, you know, as a business owner now, I would totally be weirded out or freaked out if yeah. one of my employees wanted to write a book. But it was a love letter and it aged pretty well. But that aside, it was a little strange. And, you know, I just said, you know, what? it's like I'm ready to move on and do something else. And, you know, it, it was like I want to continue to learn about wine. And I felt like the best way to do that was to make my own if I could make my own. Then I could scratch several other itches. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have creativity in my life, you know, that kind of stuff. So, question. So, yes, like, you know, like when I'm reading, you know, or, you know, you know, reading the book or, yeah. you know, looking at the videos, like you're very kind of uh, like opening, uh, open, welcoming, like you want to bring people in, like mm -hmm. um, kind of anti anti pretension. But then on the other hand, freaking French laundry. I don't think any, I'm going to be hard to over again state how buttoned up. Like French laundry. Oh, I used to get in trouble all the time, brother. <laughs> all the time. All the time. It was like just, you know, it's just, all of it. Just, and so I came from a mom and pop place, which is the French laundry. Like even at the time, it was it was it was the top restaurant, best restaurant in the world. But it was still mom and whatever pop. that means. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something <laughs> to be an ass, but I'm not. But anyways. Uh, and so. It was just that thing. And then you moved to New York and I felt New York, New Yorkers, you know, our colleagues, our New York colleagues, they were the ones that were putting the pretense on. And I was just like, it's like, hold on. So like I couldn't, you know, I used to wear these Prada's, you know, Chelsea boots. And they were like, you have to wear lace ups. And I was like, whatever. And I was just always ignoring. And I was like, what's the difference? This is so dumb. Like we never had that rule or whatever. And then finally they cornered me and it was like this whole thing. And then they made me go down to Kohan in the mall. Oh, geez, Louise. And um, and buy a different I mean, pair Kohan, of shoes. Kohan's decent shoes, right? No, I, mean, it was great. I, I, I bought these beautiful split toe where, lace yeah. up shoes. Yeah. And I just took the shoestrings out of them and showed up at the oh, for geez. the media and they yeah. were like uh, yeah. So I got in trouble a lot. You know, I pushed the boundaries and 
but it was like it was supposed to to me it was fun you know and it's like you know i was banging up against all four walls trying to figure you know like a child like pushing the boundaries of where we could go um but you know granted they had their way of doing it and you know it was really stern and i think you know i think i learned a lot it took three months three and a half months to decompress from working there i i don't doubt it you know yeah, what i mean you just wound up you know it was like a year or two afterwards not not your place but like i think one of the there's like, a, you know how like everything in life, in any industry, but this is the one I know, right, seems to be like waves. They come in, they roll out, they mm -hmm. come in, they roll out. And like kind of the high mark of kind of lunacy was when Ducasse opened Essex House. Oh, I remember. And there was the pen service. And finally someone was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because we had Mount Blanc pens and that, so they didn't, guests didn't get to choose. But we had them, and the servers were responsible, captains were responsible, and if you lost, you know, they were expensive, 200 bucks. But I do remember that it was that and the little stool for your bag or purse. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, at the yeah. Cost, right? So I remember that. And, um, and so all of this is going on, and, it, and it's interesting for me as, like, my development. And then, and then this place, Mama Fuko Noodle Bar, pops yeah. up. And, you know, it's the hot thing, and I start going over there. And it was just, it, it changed my perception of everything in a way that, like, I worked at this fine dining, high-end place, but it was like, but those people there came from the same, felt like they came from the same place. They worked in the same place as me, but they were doing something that was fun. And they were cooking the, the food with the techniques that they've learned from high-end places or from school. But they were wearing jeans and wearing rock band T-shirts and blasting Pink Floyd and wearing shell tops, Adidas. And, and it just what I realized is like the, that it was changing. Right. Similar level of internal pressure, though. Yeah. I mean, like, no, I get it. Chang's kitchens were hardcore in terms of, you know, again, if you know, if I had numerous people, you know, I ended up being partners with him. But yeah. like uh, numerous people I sent there. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it was not a place you could go just. No, absolutely. So, what I, so yeah, it still had the structure and the nucleus of the kitchen and the way those things work from how he was taught, but it 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 displayed something differently on the dining room and that and that and that place of like just the atmosphere was just different. It wasn't uptight, you know. Maybe the kitchen was, but the dining experience wasn't. And it was coming to that restaurant multiple times that made me realize. I was like. There's 30 chefs in the kitchen at per se, all leaned over plates. Um, you know, most of them aspire to be restaurateurs and owners of their own place. Only a handful of them would be crazy enough to think they could do something like the restaurant we currently work in. But I thought a lot of those guys were going to go off on their own, go back to where they came from and do exactly what we, what we were all witnessing on 12th street or wherever that was. Right. Where it was like, Oh, I worked for these great places, but I'm going to apply those techniques to like really cool stuff. And, and I was like, and I want to make wine for those restaurants. And that was kind of the impetus of the saying, okay. And taking the playfulness of all of that, you know, and like Thomas Keller, when I say the chef had, a, has a sense of humor, it wasn't like he was back there on the past, like slapping his knee and cracking jokes, but it played out in his menu as you know, the quotations, you know, there was stuff tongue in cheek, which are tongue in cheek. So there was humor in, in all of it. And I, and for me, I felt humor always kind of took out the pretense, you know? And so I, that's why I chose humor in a lot of ways and the things that, you know, that we came up with names, stuff like that to be playful. My whole attitude is to be playful, right? It's like that thing, you know, it's like, I used to wear this Dr. Seuss watch on the floor, which I got in trouble for, but it was kind of like my patch Adams, 
kind of thing, right? Instead of putting on a red nose. You know, I, I think one of the first times I, I, I approached the table at the French Laundry and I walked up to, it was a couple, I walked up to a gentleman and I said, hey, are you ready to talk wine? And he said, we're going to let you choose, but he's handing the wine list back to me and he is shaking. Not a little bit. A lot. He just he's, doesn't want to look bad in front of his crew. Or? Yeah, but he's just so nervous. He doesn't yeah. know, and he, you know, and he thinks I'm going to like reach in his pocketbook and take all his money, and and that was and that was kind of what I got. It was like they were happy to see the server, but when the sommelier came, for some people, they're like, "This is a guy trying to take my money." And I was like, "I was like, I can't talk anybody who wants a three hundred dollar bottle of wine." into a $3,000 bottle of wine or something like that. You know, so it was like this interesting thing. And for me, it was always like, it felt like we were the bad guys. And so that's why I wore the, this Dr. Seuss watch. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm human here. We're good. Well, a couple of things. One is a question. So when people yes. are going out and they're asking for, there's always that, there's always you, that thing where you feel nervous that someone is going to suggest a crazy bottle. Right. And then you're going to feel embarrassed because you're going to be like, I don't have the money to buy that. So how do you, like, as a consumer, guard against that? Correct. So you just beat him to the punch. So he comes over in the wine list and you say, even if you don't know a selection, you say, hey, we would love for you to pick. These are some of the things that we normally drink. And then you just slide your hand over to where a price point that feels comfortable to you and say, we'd like to stay around here. Yeah. And nobody has to see it at your table, nothing like that. And you give them the menu back. And let them do their job. I'm too stupid. I'm just like, please don't go crazy. Yeah, that's that's another way. To, that's another way to do it, right? And and when you work at a place like per se, there's levels to craziness, right, right? Right. Right. So that was it. But I think you know people, you know, if you just say what your budget is without saying it, giving some type of, you know, clues by pointing. Then you could somewhat be safe. Yeah, yeah. No more than double my bill, <laughs> <laughs> which could be crazy. You yeah, know, when yeah, we had yeah, people yeah. spend thirty thousand dollars on wine at one table, two people. Yeah. And so, you know, it people was, got uh, money. people need to spend it. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting thing. And I think you hit the wall where you talk about, for me, it was like, how did something that became something that's a necessity, like eating become so circus like and ceremonial yeah. in a way. And then some, you know, sometimes it would make me sick to my stomach. And, you know, it's just like my love-hate relationship with New York. You know, it's like, I got to leave when I start yelling at an old lady because she won't let me off the train first. Right. Then I go to Colorado. I'm in Colorado. I come down. I'm like, I was like, hey, I'm, I want a flat white. And, so, you know, the barista says, how's your day? I said, how about you make my coffee first before you ask me how my day is? And now I'm the New York asshole. Now I've moved back to New York. I'm ready to go back. Oh, right? man, man. <laughs> but uh, speaking of like $30,000 bottle of wine, it's crazy. Like I remember I was uh, at Jean-Georges once. I was you uh-huh. know, helping someone out. I wasn't eating. And uh, although I do like eating there. Uh, I and, just ran into him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, he. Someone had bought some obscene bottle of wine, and then they didn't even finish it. And so, like, they were pouring it out just for the crew. Yeah. I was like, man, so happens that happens all the time. Weird, right? Cause yeah, well, you can't drink at all. So it's like the the whole idea is like, so for two people who spent thirty thousand dollars in wine, it, or yeah, thirty thousand, yeah, it was you know it was multiple bottles, and so they don't drink them all. They have them with this course, and it's like, great, okay, all right, we'll move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Must be All nice right. to be the king. Must be nice, as they say. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, going back to what you're saying about being uh, playful, though, and being funny. Yeah. There's playful, funny, mean, and there's playful, funny, not mean. And what I gather is, is that you like the not mean. So like, I'll give you an example that I thought was hilarious. Someone, you, you did a thing. I saw a clip. It was called like wine, wine, uh, like not IT, but like wine, tea, wine. Yeah. 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 And uh, someone was like, "Why does rose exist?" And you didn't, you didn't even answer that because he, 
he was being a dick. Correct. You know what I mean? And you're and you just said how it was made. So you Correct. just like ignored the douche and like answered it. In Correct. A, yeah. Man, there's too much savagery in the world. Like you know, it's like like the the comments are are swamp land, swamp pools of like cesspools of just people. You know, and it's just like why waste your breath on something negative? And and that's kind of been my approach. It's like I don't want to talk crap about this. Let's not even drink it. Right. And so let's focus on that. Like, I don't I, like it's just something I didn't want to do. And I was really adamant when I spoke to the VA people when they approached me. It was just like, I don't want to do that. And and I get like, you know, what makes great television. You know, you want me to drink box, you know, crappy box wine or whatever to get a rise out of me. And it's just like, let's just not even give that. Like, let's talk about real people who are doing real things and give them the spotlight instead of no, Franzia doesn't need any help. <laughs> and I and I get that. Like and what and what the audience is, it seems like, you know, it's like the Roman gladiator days where it's like, you know, the audience is so bloodthirsty that they, they're all for the takedown. Yeah. Or I'm just here for the comments, and I'm just like, I don't have time for that. Like, meanwhile, it, like, meanwhile, you look in the camera, you're like, I like Chardonnay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like, it's like, and obviously, I have my own personal opinions and strong stances on a lot of things, but like, I don't want to be mean about it, and I don't have to air that to everybody else. And ultimately, it's one of those companies that I sh on is probably going to buy my company, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? So the idea of all of that is just like, let's be inviting, let's be fun, and like, let's just be a little bit kinder. There's a lot of other. Sh in the world that's like, you know, that's negative. And for me, it's just like, I want, I want, I just want to be positive and, and talk, talk, drink the stuff I want to drink and talk about the stuff that's nice and the shit that's crap that like, let's not give it any airtime. All right. Let's, uh, before I talk more about stuff I want to talk to you about, <laughs> yeah. let's get to the questions that other people ah, have asked. Otherwise yes. I'll get in, I'll get in some trouble. Oh, by the way, what's with those crazy spirits tasting glasses with the hollow stem? Should oh, I get one of those? So if you can find them. So this, this when I first got it into tasting wine, drinking wine is like uh, 1999. And it's a Riedel tasting glass. It's a glass. Riedel. Oh, it's one yeah. of the Riedels, yeah. Yeah. And so they discontinued the glass. So that glass used to be like 1999. Like, I sound like a boomer, like an old person. It was going to be 1999. And then they discontinued it. And, and so I've been trying to corner the market. On, on these glasses. So anytime I see them on eBay, I buy them. But yeah, they can be upwards of $89. I mean, I'm, I'm a really bad friend. A friend of mine texts me, he goes, Hey, are the, he sent me a link. He goes, Are these the glasses you're yeah. talking nope. about? Nope. I was like, I was like, Yeah, but it looks like somebody bought them. I bought those. <laughs> <laughs> I bought them. I bought them. So I'm going to give them to him as a gift, but I bought them, right? So the, but the idea of it. And so there's some other people that make them, but I'm, 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 in the process of, of working on something very similar. Yeah. But it's, it's cool though. I thought it was really awesome. And so I only use them for spirits now, but we used to, they were intended for wine, but they like, like perfect for portioning and the way you roll them. It's just like a, it's really cool. Yeah. I've met two generations of Riedel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason Lynn writes in, uh, absolutely loved your book. 99 bottles was super fun reading a wine book where I had actually tasted several of the bottles discussed. Maybe the old English. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh -huh. Uh, is it oldie or is it old? I always got because I always got an eight ball. What do you think? That's, old or oldie? Old? No, it's old. So it's we call it old. The people we call it old, but this old English is old, right? Yeah, yeah. To put the e on it from reading like Shakespeare, right? Yeah, yeah. But we're from the hood. We just called it old. Old. It was like an old e. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 All right, yeah, yeah, all right, okay. Uh, tasted several of the bottles discussed and where the writing was down to earth and relatable. My question is, what current trends in wine have you most excited right now? I'm particularly interested to hear about trends that are or will be soon available to the average wine consumer. Um, 
There's lots of things. I think like you're starting to like we're starting to finally see a lot of that like sparkling domestic sparkling wine was was a, a big thing, especially out of Oregon, like maybe four or five years. So you're starting to see a lot of that stuff come in. Uh, oddly enough, high end wine in the box. You're starting to see a lot of that kind of stuff. I worked on a couple of projects for that, which is kind of fun I to think see. It's a good market for that for like the fifty dollar box, the sixty dollar yeah. box. You know, no, I mean? absolutely. Like you, you always want to go to that you can do. I mean, most recently we had some friends come over. And we quite, we quite we weren't quite yet ready, and I had like one of the prototype boxes in the refrigerator, and I just put it in a carafe and bought it out, and they were like, "This is so good, what is this?" Yeah, and like, so I had to bring it out. It was good because like a fifty dollar box is like a twenty dollar bottle, but you get more, you get four for twenty, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah no, totally. so it makes sense. And so you start to see that. Um, uh, just up and coming regions. Uh, like uh, I'm excited about uh, Virginia, even though like yeah, you know, even you like Norton has, or no? No, I mean. So this is it. Like some Nortons I do, some I don't, and I'm trying to figure out like what they're doing that's different. Hybrid grapes take take a minute, right, to to wear on me. But like some of the other stuff, they're like the Cabernet Franc and some of the stuff that they're making um, is great. And even though they do have a long history of wine making, but it's not considered like the top three that we all know. And I think they're really starting to make a resurgence. Um, on the you know on all facets like on some of the higher end, but you know some of the young cool kids are down there now. Yeah. Um, I, and was Dave Matthews in your celebrity wine tasting? I didn't get to watch that. Uh, he was. He yeah. was. In, he was. He was in one of them. Yeah. It was okay. It was okay. I think yeah. it turned out all right. Virginia. Yeah. And then you're starting to see a little bit. Um, what's interesting? You're starting to see like the evening out of of natural wine, right? So within anything, you know, you had the good stuff, you had the bad stuff, but like you're starting to see. Everybody called BS on other people, and you're starting to see like better wines and better quality wines being made on that front. Well, let me uh, let me uh, tie into that with a question from not their real name. I'm guessing Fiber Banks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on animosity from ultra traditional psalms with regard to the recent interest in natty wine? Not recent anymore. It's like recent if you're my age. Anyway, Correct. But hold up. Specifically, that real vinegary sour stuff. <laughs> it's not my cup of tea, but the condescension I've uh, con- condescension I've heard seems unreasonable. I was stressed into the wine program at a one star uh, from being a uh, line cook and completed the master psalm uh, level. Do you have any other recommendations on formal deep dives into that world besides the obvious equation of time plus experience? Uh, all right. So we'll start with the latter. There are recommendations for like, uh, you know, deep like, dives like into wine? Into na- in, 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 oh, into they, Natty they, Wine. Yeah, they did their master psalm, but like, they want to know more about Got like, it. not bad ways to go into Natty Wine. Got it. Um, you know, I think for me, it's it's so it's so funny. So I, last night we were out and we were drinking Nicholas Jolie, and it was like that was the, as as extreme extreme as it got really in like two thousand in the early two thousands, and now you have all these other producers and a, a, a new crop of people coming to wine that are in the natty scene that don't even know who Nicholas Jolie is, who's considered the Godfather, right? And so it's just an interesting thing, and I think for me, is starting with the starting with the more traditional wines, and then kind of moving your way to. To natural wine, I, I think is a way to do it. But like, if he's there, go to festivals. I mean, I mean, there's always like raw and all those kind of things. And I think it's like any other tasting, you have to taste a lot in order to figure out what you like and to get away from some of the stuff. And if you don't like that, you know, then you know, there's other stuff with it on the spectrum that are in that that are considered natty. Um, and it's funny because I think we all group them under the one thing. And then talking to one producer, he's like, "Well, you know, within this group, you that we're all." putting us in, you know, there's people who make crap and people who make good stuff, right? And like within everything. And I think you're starting to see it kind of flush out, just kind of the cream rises to the top, like early days of YouTube, 
cat videos. Yeah. And now, you know, now Although, there's some serious. Yeah, there's also still some really bad <laughs> crap on YouTube. I mean, like. Notice, it, it, it totally is. Every, you know, I cringe. I come downstairs and my, I was like, my kid is watching some other person play a video game. And it was like, Yeah, I don't oh, get wow. it. I don't get it. So, but and, you know, and, you know, is anything ever going to get better than Grape Stomp and and uh, Afro Ninja? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, like that's like peak internet, you know. Yeah. I mean, like no, no, totally or peanut butter or jelly time. Oh my god, the Buckwheat Boys! I sing that constantly. <laughs> like I just do that. I like go run around yeah, the house yeah, with my knees do the dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yes, when we make it, um, and and so you know, so I think for there, it's just like. You know, going to the festivals and taking some of the things, it's like, I can't, you have to be able to weed them out. Um, yeah, you know, it does come with some dogma, and I think they're trying to figure it out, and I think it's a lot better than what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think there was a time, not to be an old yeah, yeah. Jer jerk about it, but there was a time when I think there was a, a little bit of just... And anything went and like people would pour you crap that was overtly flawed and be Correct. like, I like this because it Correct. tastes like poison. And you're like, OK, yeah. but it seems well, like it's a lot of and money. The hard, the hard part about all of it is, is that is it really is it a flaw if somebody likes it? And I, I, I'm, I come in the camp that it is. But to other people, it's not. And, and I would have to say that over the last 20 years, I've witnessed America, Americans taste change, which is really a sweet palate, but somehow has, has does like a little bit of sour. So think about like the rise of kombucha. Yeah. Sour beer, all is gateway to natural. I like sour beer, right? Yeah. But like, I just don't want too much of an acetic note in my wines. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same place, right? It's like some of, some of it I can drink, some of it I can't. Um, you know, some wines that somebody poured me, they're still going through fermentation. So, you know, so we, so, you know, we work through that and I, you know, if it's bringing more people to the part wine party, I'm into it. What I don't like is the dog with that comes with it. But like, you know, in the other wine world, pretense came with it. So you have to figure it out. Speaking of still fermenting, can Beaujolais Nouveau ever taste good? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's so funny. Cause I try to, how do I explain Rosé? I explain, explain Rosé as the. Beaujolais Nouveau of summer for some makers, yeah. right? You know, it's the stuff that would hit the ground floor and it's only, you know, it's only good for, you know, a couple of months and, and then you move on. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've haven't had any that I've liked. I really want to like it. I want it to be something. And then I'm I like, just kind of given up on it. Yeah, Who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Vengroff. Writes in, uh, how is climate change affecting the wine industry? Uh, bear in mind, I got a couple more questions, so yeah, you know, we got to do the short version. Yep. Uh, how is climate change affecting the wine industry? Are there things changing in terms of what varietals do well and what areas are terroirs known for their microclimates now experiencing something different that's bigger than the normal vintage-to-vintage -vintage variance? Correct. Yes, yeah, so uh, the short answer to that question is yes. Um, climate change is definitely affecting the wine industry. Um, my first harvest in 2007, we were picking grapes in Oregon around October 15th, 10th, 15th, late 20s. And now we're picking in early September, right? So, you know, a whole month earlier, but like it, it, it is, it is happening. Same sugar level. Uh, yeah. So same sugar level and what, and what people are doing now, what I would say is like some people pick early 2015, I think Oregon was going through an identity crisis because it was so warm and what made us unique. A lot of people, you know, like those kind of more voluptuous wines and making that style. Um, but what you've seen is California wineries move to other regions to hedge their bets. So California wineries coming to Oregon, coming to Washington, going to Vancouver, right? Uh, people planting different grapes. 
Um, but within those pockets of different microclimates, some people are changing grapes, some people are changing the, their vinification practices of, you know, maybe picking earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, you want to tell me what a garage wine is? Because uh, ma- you would plug your plug your plug your winery. Yeah. So I make a wine. Uh, name of my company is called Maison Noir Wines. Uh, you might know us as Mouton Noir Wines. I was in a long seven year battle with Mouton Rothschild. Um, I'll really? leave it. At, I'll leave it at that. Oh uh, yeah. I've gotten. I've gotten. I've been in legal battles with a whole bunch of people. Um, but um, and so. There was a thing in Bordeaux called garage. They, we call them garage wines, and it's because they didn't come from these picturesque chateaus. And you know, and normally, you know, there's not a real definition. It's like, oh, they made wine in the garage, or it was only they made enough wine they could only fit in the garage. But the the idea is is that you know, kind of like a garage band. It was you know, somewhat a novice turned professional kind of thing. And right, but it doesn't imply that you're technically an idiot. It just means you're doing it in small amounts, right? Correct. So yeah. Totally. Not an, not, a, not an idiot at all. Joe, not the garage man. bands are idiots. I'm not trying to say anything. I'm like, hey, don't get... Well, a lot of them started in garages. So it was the whole idea of like, you know, this kind of playful thing on 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 wine. And it was just like, hey, we're like these bands of negotiant. We get fruit where we can and blah, blah, blah. And we make our product and sell them. All right. El Butts writes in. Uh, first, he wants to say, I hope you're doing better because you're supposed to be on the show before. That's right. And you, you got uh, sick there. But uh, two questions. Big fan of the fun energy you put towards the industry. In your opinion, what is the most underrated uh, region or variety in the new world versus the old world? Oh. And I uh, was recently talking to a colleague at work who's interested in getting into wine. And whilst it's easy enough to explain varietals, regional styles, and even the idea of terroir to a wine noob is the hardest thing to explain. Uh, and, uh, well, the, pri- the price point along with the terroir is the hardest thing to explain to them. I have similar issues with other friends. How to talk to them about it? Um, it's funny because I think like it's any anything that you consume or drink, it's it's a personal taste. And so, um, you know, I try to explain it like it's like okay, well, you know, you some people drive a Honda, some people drive a Ferrari, right? So. Both of those cars get you from point A to point B, but the experiences could be different. You could like the experience of the Honda better than you could could a Ferrari, yeah. right? So kind of the same thing. It's like, I think that you have to continue to taste what you like and in your budget point. Do you think it's funny when you see a Ferrari in city traffic? I laugh because yeah. because because you're not getting out of first gear. Yeah. Right? And you're grounding the gears down. Like I, so I met this guy. Uh, he was a, I used to work at a Palm Steakhouse. And we used to have... Uh, in the. Two minutes. Got it. In the front, we had uh, we had valley parking, and they parked his car in front. He had Tiptonic steer, uh, shift box on it, right? Uh, Three fifty five. Parking in front. He would come in, and I think he went to the bathroom. The cop was going to give him a ticket from the car. The the people couldn't move it, and I moved the car, which is a total no no, right? <laughs> And he said, who moved my car? And he totally freaked out. And I said, I'm so sorry. I did. I just didn't want you to get a ticket. And he's like, how do you know how to drive this thing? And I was like, oh, I, I learned how to on a simulator. And blah, blah, blah. we started cracking up. But no, but anyways, we, it was a great time. And we became lifelong friends. And I got to drive the car a lot. But, oh, nice. but, that, yeah. but that being said, yeah, there's, but in first gear, it's like, you know what I mean? So it's a different experience from driving. That's what I try to explain to people. Um, cool things and uh, great varietals in region. Old, uh, I think New World. Um, you know, I still I'm still digging Virginia. I would I you know stuff that's coming out of Virginia is really great. Old world um, Portugal wines. I think we've been talking about that all, for a very long time, and I think now that a lot of Americans are moving there and expat, I think you're going to start to see a lot of people come and request and start drinking wines from Portugal. Yeah, never been to Portugal. Want to go because not only do I love like I know you're not talking about this, but port, but their cheese yeah. is just out of this world. Yeah, yeah, their yeah. cheese is crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you think about large oysters? Do you have any large oyster thoughts? Because I have a question about large oysters. Uh, large oysters, they're scary when they're raw. So I would always 
you know, fry those suckers up and make a sandwich. Yeah, Ashkash Bagash uh, ordered some large ones. They're colossal. He, they thought they were super tasty, but too serve to uh, too big to serve to a guest in good conscience because they're not right. going to go all the way down. Any suggestions, alternative ways to serve them? Maybe I don't know. I don't yeah, know. There's not. I mean, like you can't. You can't Those serve big, an oyster that. No, you can't no. Do but it. they have some of these ones that are like freaking like old school. Like you seen these? Like the size of your head. The crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. How could you serve that? I think you have to cut it up. All right, listen, I have not been, you have a, like, we haven't even talked about half the stuff, but, uh, no you, worries. yeah, and sons, I've not been to your ham bar, and I, I love American ham more yeah, yeah, man, than, you than most come. people. I gotta come. And, uh, why don't you give a plug for where that is? So, yeah, that's on, uh, in, uh, Prospect Leverage Garden at, uh, uh, 447 Rogers Avenue. We have several little businesses there, but this is my little uh, ode to American ham, American American country ham, American cheese, old American wine back to the 50s, 22 seats, 400 square feet, uh, and just really a love letter to American um, Yeah, I love, and you know, what I, you know what I loved on it is that like, you have a lot of new producers along with the old producers, yep. like uh, a lot of new stuff coming out of the Carolinas that you wouldn't have found like 15 years ago yep, that totally. I was like super excited about. If I had another hour, I would talk to you about all of these no, hams. Totally. But, uh, you know, please come back anytime. We'd love to have you back on the show. Andre Mack, Cooking Issues. All right.